Blog Talk Radio. All right, Blog Talk listeners, we are getting started, um, having some technical issues, and so we are be starting here momentarily um, with the broadcast. So thank you for your patience today as we get ready to do this edition of Wednesday Warriors.
right. Uh, sorry for the delay. We have some issues here, but I want to thank you for being patient and uh, standing by for this edition of Wednesday Warriors. Excited that you guys decided to join me tonight. Excited about what God wants to talk about. We've got some great things we're going to discuss today um, as we go through this together. And so I'm excited and uh, wanting to uh, hear, hear from you all uh, today as we get going, how you're enjoying these broadcasts and how these things are really working out for you. Um, I really would love to hear your feedback and see what God is doing in your life and, and how this is uh, transforming your understanding of who Christ is and what he's wanting to perform and do for you and through you, because this is about what God wants to do through you. So I'm excited. You guys ready? Do you have your uh, before the gardens, I almost wanted to say prophet dictionary. I don't know, maybe because it's near me or maybe because I'm picking up that vibe because I'm in the big chair, uh, right? But uh, do you have your before the gardens with you? I want you to go ahead and take out your books. I want you to go ahead and get your journals, get your Bible, get comfortable in your chair, and we're going to get started with this edition of Wednesday Warriors. We're still uh, plowing through Chapter 7. Yes, Abraham, the rich man, and Lazarus all in hell together, Chapter 7. So if you're joining us for the first time, I want to encourage you to go ahead and get your own personal copy of Before the Garden, God's Eternal Continuum, written by our favorite author, Dr. Paula Price. That's right. You can go right to her site, drpaulaaprice.com, and get your edition of Before the Garden and join the club. We love to have you all on board. The more, the merrier, uh, joining us in this process of becoming the essence of Jesus Christ. We know that we cannot do great things and great exploits if we don't know him. So we're on a journey that we might know him and know him in his fullness, not just pieces and parts and, you know, the the, the uh, uh, aspects of him we can agree with, the aspects of it we can understand. We want to know the fullness of Jesus Christ. We want to know all that he is and everything that he represents because everything he represents is who we represent. Amen. It is the essence of us. And so we're going to go ahead and dive into those things today. Make sure that you share, share, share. We're going to talk a lot about prophets and prophecy and the continuum. Dr. Price made some bold declarations in Chapter 7 on page 108. That's page 108 in your book. She made some bold declarations about the prophet's obligation to the continuum and why uh, we can uh, frustrate a lot of what God does by not understanding the history of Christ and the history of eternity before time began, okay? So we're going to go some places tonight. We're going to get into the scripturally organic aspects of the word of God. I promise you tonight will be culturally unmodified because we're going to transcend everything that is in this world and transcend earth to get into the place where we belong, amen? We're going to step into that environment with the Lord Jesus Christ. So make sure that you share, make sure that you're in your comfy position and that you're ready to do what we're here to do because tonight's discussion truly isn't for mere mortals because we won't be spending a whole lot of time talking about earth, amen? So I'm excited about that today. All right, uh, before we jump into that, what I'd like to do is go ahead and uh, kind of talk about the warrior nation and what we've done this week, okay? We've done some great things this week, and so I definitely want to talk about that. All right. So, Warrior Nation Weekly Lineup. How many of you guys are enjoying being a part of the Warrior Nation book club right there on Facebook? I, I started that so that we can stay connected all week long. 
okay? It's important that we don't just stop right here. This is not something that you can just hear once and kind of move throughout the day and keep going. This is something that has got to be a light pursuit. We talked about that. Christ isn't a casual interest. This isn't something you can do as a hobby. This is something that is a light pursuit for you, and we want you to continue to pursue it in every aspect, in every day of your life. We talked about how faith comes by hearing. Okay, and what you hear. So if you're not hearing this, then your faith in who you are, your faith in what God called you to be, your faith in your divine nature isn't growing either because your your development and growth is tied directly to your faith, and your faith is initiated by what you hear. Ah, yes. A lot of times we think that faith is just triggered by what we believe, but before you can make a decision about what you believe, you must hear it. How could they hear without a preacher? You must hear something first. So we want to stay, keep you in this posture. We want to keep you hearing this all week long and feasting on this all week long so that your faith can grow thereby. And that as your faith grows, so does the measure and stature of who Christ is in you grows as well. So I'm excited about that today. So we've done some great things. How many of you guys enjoy the uh, the plan, war plan for the week? This week we had some great war plans going out. Stop playing by earth's rules. How many of you guys say that you lived up to that this week, that you took a moment to shake off your mortal mind and stop living your life by what the earth has dictated? We're no longer under the fall. You know what we talk about, about Adam's doctrine and about Adam's gospel, the gospel of the fall. We don't live according to the gospel of the fall. We don't live according to a fallen earth. We're living out a destiny, an eternal destiny that was written for us before time began. So we're not living out earth's consequences. We're rising above them. In fact, when we get to the place of dominion, we'll be calling the shock over them because that's what we were made to do, right? God made us. He empowered us. Remember, he empowered us. He upgraded our humanity so he can release our divinity so that you can start calling the shock over what happens in the earth and over your environment. Didn't he say it? He said these signs will follow all those that believe. We should be in a power where we can call shots over some things today, right? So this week was all about not playing by earth's rules, amen? So that's what we don't want to do. We don't want to be earthlings because we have a divine destiny in a divine place, and we want to get back to, the, to what God did that predated this world, that predated the fall, that predated the trials and tribulations, all of the things, our mortality, the weakness in the flesh. We want to get back to what predated that. So that's what we're on the journey to do. So the war plan this week was don't live by earth's rules. We want you to live like one that is seated in heavenly places, one that knows their God, one that understands the authority that he has given them, given you in him. So I want you to live with that consciousness. Let that mind, let that type of mind. You know, there are various things that you can meditate on about Jesus Christ. There are various things that you can meditate on about your faith. But this week, let this mind, the mind of power, the mind of authority, the mind of one that has dominion, rest in you. Do not allow circumstances and situations to continue to dictate and shape your perspective on who you are. Shape your perspective on what you can accomplish in Jesus Christ. This week, keep your mind on things above, not on the, or your earthly existence. This is going to be the shortest stint. We're preparing for the longest part of our life with Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, so we have that. Another fun challenge this week we had an opportunity to talk about, our post-warrior challenge, why was Abel killed? Amen. 
I love the participation in that. There was a lot of participation. We had a lot of people engaged in answering questions on that wise, and some of the answers were, you know, were generating more questions that people had about Abel and why he was killed. Amen. So our post-warrior challenge this week was great. I enjoyed having you guys be a part of it. And, of course, I posted my answers online based on what we've been discussing right here on Wednesday Warriors as we were going through or are going through before the Garden of God's eternal continuum. Yes, Abel was the first prophet. And Jesus Christ himself said in the Gospels that he was killed because he was, pro- because he was a prophet and that his blood and the blood of all the prophets that came after them would be required of that generation. Yes, going back to Luke 11, right? So we want to make sure that we understand those things. We know that he also functioned as God's first priest and brought that priestly offering to the Lord. Amen. So we talked about that on the Wednesday Warrior page as well. And then, of course, you guys chimed in with your, uh, I would say, expanded understanding of Cain being the first spawn of darkness and him bringing an offering from the ground that was cursed. Why did Cain feel compelled to bring that offering? Because that was the offering of his God. Oh, because how did the earth get cursed? By becoming a partaker of Satan's judgment. So he literally is bringing the fruit of the God he was now serving and establishing a what? A priesthood for darkness that we now know as what? The new age movement. So everything has a counter. We always talk about everything having a counterfeit or a counterpart. So we had both represented at the beginning, the rituals in the priesthood of light and the rituals in the priesthood of darkness, both established right there, them eating from the very ground that they took dominion over. Ah, come on. He was giving his God a prize because he won the earth. He came, come on. His offering shows that Satan won the earth. So that's why he wanted to bring an offering from the earth that the devil just won, that his deity just uh, usurped authority over. Ah, come on in the place. And Abel was bringing what? The blood, the temperance, the mediation for what just happened. Oh, come on. Y'all know that was good because I enjoyed that in the moment. Y'all went, oh, oh, see, yeah, this is Dr. That's a Dr. Price revelation in her honor because she's the one that showed us how Cain came forth and brought us these things. In the honor of Dr. Paul the Price for showing us that that dark priesthood, okay, because Satan couldn't invent anything new. He didn't come to necessarily tear down all of the structures and systems of heaven. He wanted them to be done his way, which is why it's false. False is it being done our way. Oh, come on. We're going to talk about that tonight. False is it being done our way. So Cain wanted it to be done his way, and he wanted to set up a ritual and a practice for his God. Oh, that's why Jesus didn't accept the offering, because he said, no, no, no. I don't want, the, I don't want an offering from a ground that I already judged. Okay. I don't want a judged offering. See, that's what's happening to us partaking of these rituals of these other gods today. We're bringing God a judged offering on his, offer, on his altar as a living sacrifice. Oh, come on in here. Didn't Romans say we're living sacrifices? And so us partaking in all of these customs and cultures and rituals and forms of worship known as culture, we are literally every Sunday morning bringing God a judged offering. Okay. I don't know. Is that all right to say? Because, see, we're bringing him a judged offering. He judged those things. And we talked about last week that he judged them before they took place. 
resolution preserved. He judged them before they took place. So God's not judging things in the now like we think being all reactionary as if he's like, you know, it's a personal affront to him that you're dismissing his ways and bringing and parading the rituals of another God before him. It's not, he's not acting that out in the moment. He already predetermined what he would do to creatures who mistreated him. Oh, okay. He predetermined that. You predetermine it every day. I dare somebody to talk to me. Ain't nobody going to talk to me like that. Ain't nobody going to walk up on me like that. Ain't nobody going to treat me that way. You say it every day. You decree and declare at any moment, at the top of your day, the end of your day, you pre-solve what you're going to allow people to do to you. Well, Jesus did it first. He pre-solved how he was going to allow and not allow people to treat him. So he put parameters in place to safeguard himself and to protect his own preservation because he knows if he goes down, everything attached to him goes down. So he had to set up parameters. He had to set up pre-solutions for his own survival. Do we not do it every day for ourselves? We do it for our businesses. We do it for our destiny. We do it for our dreams. We do it for our churches. We set up resolutions for survival. Ah, come on here. Resolutions come after a problem has been revealed that you were unaware of. Then you determine how future action will go from that point forward. That's not what God did. He didn't wait for a problem to appear. His solution predates the problem. That's how he's sovereign. Alpha means predate. Alpha means predate. Alpha means predate. Why can you maintain for a very short period of time, albeit, certain control over your children because you predate them and you know things they don't know about the world that they're new to? So what you do predates them. Your predated wisdom, experience, and knowledge gives you an edge and advantage until they find Google. Praise the Lord. And then after that, they're coming home and telling you what you don't know and what you can't do as a parent. But, you know, rest assured, we all sit back and wait because their day of of restitution and trial and tribulation and and their word being tried will come upon them, will it not? Praise God. I know it came upon me. Dr. Price will let me know, yeah, you think that, but you haven't tried it yet. Your word and your opinion hasn't been tried by the realities of life, by the forces and agencies of life, that Pied Piper, Murphy's Law, whatever everybody want to call them, we all know that there is a whole institutional force here in the planet to what, sift, sort, okay, and vet you for everything. Nobody, even Satan doesn't want an untried person. He want to make sure you committed to darkness. Oh, come on in the place. Okay, there has to be a commitment all the way around. All right, so speaking of that, Message of the week. That was uh, the sneak peek. How many of you guys enjoyed your sneak peek, okay, that came out? Yes, I've gotten great great feedback on that. Why Christianity is not a religion. It is not a religion. As Dr. Price would say, Christianity is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. That's why you can't destroy it. It doesn't matter if people burn down crosses, burn up Bibles, burn up Christians themselves. The founder, not only does he not live here, he predates everything that is here and made it. 
the founder of your faith made everything that is in existence. So, of course, he will ensure that everything he wants will continue to exist. And he put things in place to make sure of that. Ooh, I'm bringing them out today. Yay! I love bringing them out. You know that, right? We love it, okay? Because that's what we're here to do. So, understand that. That's why you will not be able to erase Christianity because it's not an earthly commodity. It doesn't belong to this planet. It is here to change, upgrade, renew, regenerate, get this planet to its destiny, but it is not a commodity of earth. I know that they're always trying to tell us that it was man-made. Well, may I submit to you today, we ain't that, we ain't that good. We're not that good at record-keeping to have all of these records from Genesis, from what Moses put down about Genesis to what Jesus Christ said all the years later. How many things get burnt up? How many wars have ruined things? How many historical artifacts or ruins do we have to keep things together? That's how you know it's the power of God to make sure that we have this canon all of these years later. And we still don't have it all. We know, we, we, we know parts and pieces of it are missing and probably fell off by the wayside because of this reason or that, okay? But it's not, it didn't stop the Holy Spirit. And that's what you have to understand, is that your faith is subsisting on a power, not a doctrine. Your faith subsists on a power, not a doctrine. See, doctrine isn't what's keeping uh, Christianity alive from generation to generation, what we're sermonizing and what we're preaching. What's keeping it alive is a power, a spirit of God. It says that all scripture was inspired by God. It was given to us by a spirit, a living being is watching over his own word. That's why this thing will survive the test of time, because time doesn't own it, seasons don't own it, trials don't own it, pain don't own it, darkness don't own it, we don't own it, unbelief doesn't own it, criticism doesn't own it. Come on here. None of that owns it, because they can't own God. All right. Just saying they can't own your God. And that's what we need to understand. And that's why you have to let that kind of mind, this mentality be in you when you're living out your Christian experience. You can't let the the mentality of fallen man, that is the, the Canaanite, okay, which is called Cain mentality, that's still eating from the earth, subsisting from the dead. Oh, come on in here. You cannot allow that. To, be your, to take over your mentality about your Christianity. See, they're trying to keep you tied to everything here, get you worshiping everything here, everything that was already judged. Mm. But your faith, but your faith, but your faith is not only the one that's starting it all, but it's the one that's keeping it all going. Can y'all say amen on that? So let's have a quick, quick uh, review. Wednesday Warriors at a glance, and I'm working on trying to get the technology back so you guys can see some of this information because that will be very helpful to see it and make those connections with me as we go along. Praise God in the place. So, pre-solved creation. We talked about last time, resolution and pre-solved, how God worked out all of his problems and all of the barriers to his obstacles and to his plans before he set it in motion to ensure that it will reach its fulfillment. If you don't plan for problems and you don't plan for how to counteract your problems, then you have just short-circuited your uh, uh, project, your destiny, your whatever you're going after. You've just short-circuited fulfillment. 
that is how we get stuck as the church because we often will plan for faith and we will plan for victory, but we will not plan for opposition. But God planned for opposition before Lucifer, before iniquity was even found in Lucifer. He planned for somebody to jump up and oppose him so that he would make sure that he was in control of even what his opposition could do. Oh. See, when we don't prepare and we don't plan for problems and we don't want to face issues and all of those things, then we cannot control what our opposition will do to us and the impact and effect that will have on what we're trying to accomplish. Oh, come on and think about that today. How many of us walk around just not wanting to think about things? Oh, I don't think about that. Oh, I would have no problems. Oh, I would have no issues. Oh, I would have no drama. No, plan for drama. A good warrior. A godling. Okay? A son and daughter of the living God will think as their God did and plan for the opposition and give their opposition. God, come on here. God's the only person I know that gave his opposition an assignment. He gave his opposition a purpose. Oh, come on. Can you find a purpose for the opposition in your life? Or is it just a a source of frustration? God turned his opposition into a purpose and made it an instrument in the execution of his own will. Can you turn your opposition into an instrument and not just let it be a barrier and a blockade to what you're trying to accomplish? A lot of times problems can become what? Opportunities for us. And God sees the day. So this would be a great, he said, oh, Lucifer done jumped up. You want to oppose me? Perfect. This is a great opportunity for me to find out what every opposition, every hater, every, oh, come come on here. You can be the trigger that tests the system for imperfection. You can be the one that helps us find every flaw and every error that will show up in our creation. Oh, come on in the place. He turned this opposition into an instrument. He turned it into something that was that was going to work for him, and not just and not against him. Because you know, come on here. He thought he was working against God in the garden, but he gave God an opportunity to do what he wanted to do, and that test his creation, filter it out, try his product to make sure that he can present something what faultless and blameless, without spot or wrinkle before God. Satan is quality control for him. Turn them into quality assurance so that he would be assured that if you can survive all of Satan's temptations, if you can survive all of Satan's seduction, if you can survive all of his deception, if you can survive all of his manipulation and all of his machination and all of his hurt and pain and all of those things, the persecution and the accusations, that he has the assurance to know that you will make it in his world. That God's getting a quality product. He's not looking for quantity. That's why there's nothing in Scripture that indicates that the whole world is going to be saved, despite us wanting to go out there and do that. And we've seen the fruit of our reckless ambition. God didn't say he wanted quantity, he wanted a quality. He's looking for something that is going to be assured to work and last forever. He's looking for a soul that can stay in that state perpetually. Come on, you've got to want to be righteous, not just in the moment. We all know, come on, isn't it hard to try to be righteous every moment? God, we want to take grace. That's why we're like, oops, excuse me, oops, grace, oops, mercy, because it's hard for us to think of staying in that state of Jesus Christ perpetually. Oh, come on. But that's what eternity is vetting you for, to see if you can do this perpetually and not incidentally. Not have your salvation be lived out incidentally. Woo, praise God, he caught me that time. He caught me. 
You caught me. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. You caught me. But he wants you to get to a place that this thing is purposeful and that you can do it perpetually, consistently, that there is consistency in your performance and that you can deliver every time as Jesus delivered every time. Jesus was not looking to take breaks from his own identity. Jesus wasn't looking to take breaks from the pressure of being the son of God, of being the firstborn from the dead, of being uh, the alpha and omega, of being that he wasn't looking to take breaks from those things, the first of many brethren. He wasn't looking to take breaks. And where we, us, we be looking to take breaks. Come on here, because that fallen nature, always pulling on you. That, that gospel of Adam, always coming back. Hey. But see, what's fun about being fallen is you don't have that pressure to be right all the time. You don't have to do that. See? 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 And why do you think he wants to uh, uh, preach a gospel of grace, grace, and nothing but grace? Because it it will keep you out of the race. You'll stop running. If you got grace, you'll stop running. A lot of us are being taken out because of passive Christianity. Well, God will do it. He'll work it out. I I love the Christians that tell me, well, I just just bask in his presence because you know, that's all we need to do because he loves us. And, you know, he's going to do all the work. I mean, we don't have to do works like this. Like, it's too much. It's too much. Like, we just run around trying to be righteous when we could just feel righteous in his presence. If righteousness was going to be a feeling, he wouldn't have judged your love for him by you keeping commandments. See, keeping is an active term. You have to actively work to keep something. You, like you have to actively work to keep your job, to keep your money in your wallet, to keep your car. You have to actively work to keep these things. You can't just passively, okay, keep your house unless it's an inheritance. And then somebody already kept it for you. And then again, if, hey, if you do something careless and you let it catch on fire and it blow away, come on here, come on here. You still have to do certain things to actively keep you. Satan likes passive Christians because passive Christians are a playground for his nonsense. They are a playground for manipulation. I just, I mean, I don't want to think about anything. I don't want to feel anything. I don't want to, I just want to just, you know, let the Holy Spirit do it. Do it. Do it. Holy Spirit. Just go. You notice that the scripture never tells you to empty your mind? He tells you specifically what to do with your mind. You have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, okay? Let the peace that passes all understanding guard it. Set your mind on these things above. Meditate on these things. He tells you what to do with your mind because he knows that an idle mind is a doorway for possession. Okay. I don't know how we went there, but we just there. Is it all right? We just all the way in the place today, okay? But it's a doorway for possession. Because the enemy wants to override your will. And see, when your mind is not engaged, then your will cannot defend you. When your mind is not engaged, your will cannot defend you. Why do you think yoga is wildly popular? And why does he want it wildly popular among Christendom? Because he knows that if your mind is not engaged, you will not raise up your natural defense system to test the spirit that are trying to enter you. You can't test what you're not aware of. You can't test what you can't discern. 
and you can't discern what you can't detect. And you can't detect when there is no no uh, device working, when nothing's, when there is no alarm on, when nothing's there that will red flag you, when nothing's there to capture your attention or come on in the place. So when you don't have anything there, any, any monitoring system, anything that's there, surveillance, something to alert you, some sort of system in place, that you can't use discernment. So he wants an empty-minded Christian who cannot defend themselves against their knowledge. Adam couldn't defend himself against the knowledge of Satan because he didn't have any. So the enemy likes to keep you unknowledgeable and empty-minded, and he wants you to believe that that's the easy route to salvation so that you can be open to anything taking over your soul. He loves an unguarded soul, and he likes to preach doctrines that keep your soul unguarded so that you'll be open to his doctrines, his philosophies, and his belief systems. Because trust me, he, ain't, he doesn't come with just a word. He comes, that's why he said he'll come back and find a place swept clean, and then he'll bring more because there's a whole system with him. All of those other devils are the other parts of the system that will come and reinforce the hedge to keep you out of your place in God. And, and after they come back in, you can't find God again. You ever have that person who just says, well, right now I just need some time away. I just need to go find myself. I just need to figure things out with God. And when you go and see them, uh, 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 my producer and I were just reflecting on that about someone who went to school with us. I'm a graduate of Royal Roberts University. And so they went to school with us, praise God. And we said they had to go on their own journey to find Christ. Let me tell you something. Him finding that place sweat clean, he realized that you, oh, you sweeping stuff out the way? Ain't nothing here? Your faith ain't anchor? You didn't build up any kind of system here? Okay. We got no, oh, is anybody Okay. They came in and brought in a whole entire new system of theology and thinking that girl didn't come back with just a word and an experience and, and some encounter, spiritual encounter. No, she came back with a whole theology and was trying to feed it to us. Oh, y'all ain't in the place, huh? Trying to feed us a whole theology because that's what you come back with after visitation. Visitations are to sow a seed in you that will grow, not sow a seed in you to get you to ponder and think and explore new things. That's why we talked about in our Wednesday Warrior page that faith and beliefs and concepts are beings, not just words on a paper, not just mental excursions. They are beings that are looking for expression in this world. They do not want to be without a voice in this world. That's why prophet and prophecy and all of that is at the forefront. God deals with it a lot in Scripture, not because he walks around in the holy fear of prophets the way we've been taught to do because of the things that we've read in Scripture and people who are not called to this office trying to help us understand what God means by what he says. But he has them at the forefront. He talks about false prophets, and we're going there tonight. He's talking about false prophets and false prophecy a lot. Why? Because everything in creation is looking for a voice, uses their voice, come on, and uses your voice to get expression in this world. The goal of prophecy is expression and manifestation in this world. They want to harvest in this world. And the only way they can harvest this world is through prophecy, because Jesus did it first. 
So that's the only way they can do it. So that's why tonight we're going to talk about prophecy and the continuum and how God uses prophecy to reveal his answers to the problem. He must conform to his will. See, God did resolution so that he can literally conform his problem to his will. Oh, come on here. That's what you do. When you want to be ahead of the game and you want to make sure that you're at the top and can guarantee your success, you sit down and pre-solve every issue that could possibly arise, every, every evidentiary thing that you know could show up in your journey, in your pursuit, to make sure you can get problems in opposition to conform to your will. Oh, come on. Why do you think he said you can bind devils? Why? Because our job is to get the devil to conform his problem, to conform, make his problem conform to his will. Oh, come on. And when you rise up in your place, and if you are a true prophet of God, you recognize that that's one of the number one things that we do, is we make sure that darkness remembers who they work for. And that their job is to conform to God's will. So if God says bless, that he's going to bless the land like he was trying to tell Balaam, excuse me, but I said there will be no sorcery against Jacob, and I'm talking about Israel. I already have a covenant with them to be blessed. So what did he do? He sent an agent down to make sure that, they conform, that he conformed to his will, that his problem came under subjection. Because that's what it means to have sovereignty. That's what it means to have dominion. Oh, come on. And then he comes down the line to tell us, uh-uh. When I say a land is blessed, it's blessed. When I say a land is cursed, it's cursed. Trust me, when God is wanting to judge something, it doesn't matter what you do. Our job is to make everybody conform to that judgment, whether we agree or disagree. That cop cannot give you a free pass if you're out here selling drugs because he, doesn't, he, he knows you on hard times and, and, and need the money. No, the action of drug selling has already been judged. But the action of drug selling has already been judged. So because it's already been judged, then guess what? That cop will now bring himself under its judgment if he allows it to go forth. Oh, come on. So prophets, ministers, and preachers who allow, oh, come on, who allow themselves to, allow, to, uh, to, to watch people keep doing things against God, keep sinning, you know they're sleeping around, fornicating in a whole lot of mess, and all of these things are, oh, but you know, it's, we all, ain't nobody perfect, so we just going to excuse you. No, 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 no. As a prophet and an agent who exists to represent every aspect of God and whatever his will is that was pre-solved before we got here. See, he pre-solved he didn't want fornicating preachers. See, he already pre-solved that. So as a prophet, as ministers of the fivefold and agents that are representing him, we cannot allow ourselves to just, oops, we're going to let you just continue to do that because nobody's perfect. No, what you're going to do is come under that judgment of that action and behavior because you were put in place to uphold God's will, not man's opinion. Is let God be true and every man be a liar. It would be better for you to make a liar out of your friend than out of your God. Oh, come on in the place. It's better to go ahead and make a liar out of your friend than out of your God. As a prophet, you, you don't get a say-so. Just like that officer, police officer doesn't get a say-so of what should or should not be the law. His job is to enforce it and to bring darkness under its subjection. And so we have to understand our job is, hey, that devil of fornication riding around in your best friend, your job is to bring that under subjection. 
okay? You can't be giving away free hall passes unless you want to enter into that particular judgment. Romans 1, he says whoever condones, not just the person that commits it, but the people who are condoning it will also enter under that particular judgment. And we're wondering why certain prophets, mm mm-hmm, because we be prophesying God's going to bless folk, and we know they in mess. Well, God understands, you know, he all right. He know ain't nobody perfect. He know we can't, you know. What he knows is that he's got a a, uh, rebellious son who doesn't want to, or daughter that doesn't want to listen to him. It's not about your perfection. It's about your listening skills. See, God's going to judge your listening skills. He's not going to be judging just, okay, whether you could or could not know that if that was the right or wrong thing to do. He knows that you just meeting him for the first time. It's going to take a moment for you to be able to come to the knowledge of the truth of everything that he is and everything that he requires and what his will actually encompasses. Come on, how long did it take for us to figure out our parents' will? Got a few whoopings along the way, too, to figure that out. Beat with a few stripes, depending on the parent. Okay? You had to figure that out. But what did you often get in trouble for? Your poor listening skills. Not whether you knew ahead of time your parent would or would not accept that kind of behavior. You were a child, new to the planet. How would you know that? Your listening skills are getting you in trouble. And prophets cannot encourage people to be poor listeners to their God. Okay. Are we all right? Because that's where we are today. We have a lot of people condoning that. And that's not our job. Our job is to manifest, personify, uphold, enforce, and invoke the will of God. That's why he gave us voice in this world and voice in this planet to manifest him. And trust me, we're not the only ones trying to do it. There are prophets out there who work for the other guys who are also trying to do it, which is why we have the false and the true, because they're both battling for manifestation. Satan can't entertain and would not allow him to change his mind about his sacrifice because he was battling for manifestation. He wanted a vessel that would manifest what he wanted. And he wanted an offering for his victory in the garden. Prophecy is inspired, but it's not spontaneous. We talked about that last week. Prophecy is inspired, but not spontaneous. Prophecy is God's predetermined thoughts, actions, and implementation of his pre-existing plan and design for his creation. We do not have to make anything up as prophets because there's a host of things that already are in play and exist before we got here that just need our voice and our mouths and our vessels to be conduits of their manifestation or their appearance in their appointed time. God needs you to not make something happen or make things up. He needs you to make them appear. You don't have to make them. They already exist in his world. What he needs you for is to make them appear. How the continuum has shown up from Abel until Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ until we go home, is going to be through the mouth of his holy prophets. Isn't that what scripture said? The mouth of the holy prophets brought us all of this. Because God didn't need them to make up a plan. He didn't need them to go off and imagine something, okay? That's what Lucifer's problem was. He wanted to go off and imagine something outside of the plan. God said, we, but, but we already have something in existence. But, we already, but this is already working. I know, but I want to have my own version. 
Ah, come on here. False prophecy is your own version. Oh, come on. Of God's events. How you think his will should play out. How you think he should use his commodities and his creation. We're going to talk about it. Let's get there. So when we're talking about prophecy, prophecy predates the creation of earth. See, prophecy didn't come into existence when the planet did, which is why it operates outside of time. And it's how God manages time, because it didn't come into existence with the planet. It predates the planet. Why? Because the author of prophecy predates the planet. It begins eternal before taking on temporality to show up in earth's events. So prophecy begins in eternity. It begins as an eternal commodity, a commodity of the eternal realm, before it is released to earth for its manifestation in the flesh, before it's given to the temple to move the temporal along to, into the eternal. See, prophecy ushers the temporal into the eternal. It brings things into our world for a temporary period of time to move it forward, to progress it forward, to bring it into what God is ultimately trying to achieve. So he uses prophecy to usher the plan forward, and he brings it in time. Okay, he brings prophecy. Come on, God uses prophecy to bring it in time so that he can move time into its destiny. Y'all with me? It's how God controls the times and the seasons. I love it because let me tell you something. When God doesn't, let's look at the Tower of Babel. When God does not want something to happen, out, okay, in a particular time, come on now, he shut it down. So boom, boom. He what? He shuts down prophets and prophecy. Because prophecy, if you, can, if you uh, want to know more about this, you can read it in Dr. Price's book, uh, Prophecy, Divine Communications. But prophecy equals light. Why? Because the author of prophecy is light. What did Jesus say about himself? He says, I am the light of the world. And who is the spirit of prophecy? Jesus Christ. So prophecy equals light. And so when God wants to stagnate a plan, frustrate darkness's version of his will, he turns the light off. And he doesn't just turn the light off as in physically, you know, sometimes he does, you know, because he got some times in Revelation where he's going to literally turn the lights off. He said the stars are falling out of the sky. So he's going to turn some lights off. However, what he does is he shuts down the prophets. He shuts down prophets, prophecy, vision, and dreams. And typically we'll, that will plunge a planet into turmoil. Because when we're fighting to survive, we're not thinking about the future. Oh, okay. So that's how he regulates times and seasons through prophecy. Nothing will come in. And what I love about it is that he keeps things from manifesting prematurely or coming into existence prematurely by just shutting down, darkening the mind. Okay? Not giving the mind the revelation because what is revelation synonymous, it's synonymous with? Light. Let the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. So light is how we get the knowledge of God's will so that we know how to advance to the next leg of his plan. That's how he keeps the earth under his dominion. So he's like, well, if you can't think it, then guess what? You can't achieve it. Take the thoughts out. So he didn't have to worry about, you know, doing anything crazy in the earth when they were trying to unify to bring things into existence at the time of the Tower of Babel. See, Satan was trying to bring his world in here. He was like, uh, 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 mm-mm, see, no. So all he did was darken the mind. 
darken the regions of the brain that controls communication. Don't you think it's interesting that he confused communication? Prophecy is all about what? Divine communication. He confused communications to stop advancement. Why? Because prophecy, communication, all of that brings advancement. But you can get people on the same page and understanding the same language and understanding the same communication. You think about your prophecies. How many of you guys can say that the, the prophecies that have moved forward in your life or that you have been able to cooperate with God and moving forward in your life are the ones you understand? When the language barrier is broken, prophecy can move forward, and so can you. Because prophecy is designed to move you forward into something, to get you to take action. Action, action, action. We're going to talk about that. Prophecy is also how God manages his problems. He uses his word. And that's what he does. He, he shuts things down. He says, when he got hot with Israel, I, took the, I turned the light out on all their prophets. And then turned them over to lying spirits in the earth. The challenge with uh, being turned over to darkness, okay, is that you can't see your way forward. And all darkness can do is keep you looking backwards. You will know you're a prophet that has fallen under dark oppression when you can't think forward. When everything's about nostalgia and taking you back to a time when you know you're battling a, uh, a demonic oppression of some kind. Darkness. Because darkness is all about keeping you looking backward and stagnant. But it can't take you forward. Why? Because only prophecy can do that. Knowing what God is planning to do ahead of time can keep us moving forward. So let's keep going. This is how the continuum works. Prophecy decodes the operations of God's hands. And Dr. Pike mentions those scriptures, Acts 15, verses 15, 16, and 18. They start on page 107 of your book, Acts 15, talking about all of God's works being known to him ahead of time. So if all of God's works are finished and completed and known to him ahead of time, where are they established, and how come we still working it out every day? Because God's works are completed where he is. He has given everything that he wants to come into existence, he has already created a spiritual body for. It already has a body, a engine, a source that makes it exist. Now, what will make it appear in the flesh is prophecy. That's why prophecy is a revelator, a revealer, uncoding what already is there. It's not engineering. It is revealing what is already there and waiting for its season of materialization. And so how we know what God is doing and where God is moving next is through the prophets. Surely the Lord God does nothing without what? Come on, y'all can quote that. Y'all better be quoting that on Periscope. Without doing what? Without revealing his what? Secret counsel to his servants, the prophet. Because he has used prophets and prophecy since before time began to work and control creation. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Hang tough with me tonight. Share this, because a lot of prophets don't know. As prophets, we are lost in the sauce when it comes to knowing what our function is right now. Because why? They disconnected us from the prophecy continuum and from the prophecy chain by breaking our uh, uh, obligation to our biblical predecessors of the Old Testament. See, the Old Testament biblical predecessors are who started the chain, and their chain started all the way back. We now realize that thing started all the way back with Abel. We now realize that that thing started all the way back with Adam. And dare I say that 
it all—it started all the way back to Jesus Christ. So prophecy makes the invisible works of God known. How the invisible world becomes known is through prophecy. We wouldn't know it was there unless God revealed it to a prophet, whether it be like Numbers 12, 6, by dream or vision, okay, because it's an invisible commodity. So God has to use invisible communications to let us know that it exists and it is there. Oh, come on in here. Name one thing that is in front of us today, even this lovely periscope and mobile device that we're looking on, that didn't begin as an invisible thought or idea, something intangible. Because why? It's a product of the intangible world until prophecy comes, whether or something prophetic happens, whether by dream or by vision, that reveals it. And we now know, oh, this thing exists. It has an existence, but it has a spiritual existence, which is why spiritual communication is how it must be relayed to you until you adopt it by faith and begin the process of giving it a natural body. So prophecy is how God makes known all of the invisible things that already exist in his world. The works of God's hands are not known until they are spoken. Until they are spoken, Genesis 1.1, none of God's works ever kickstarted without being spoken. He said, in the beginning, God said what? Come on, y'all can quote this with me too. Let there be light, and then there was. See, nothing in creation happened without being spoken, without prophecy. Oh, come on in here. So nothing that God did could ever be known until it was spoken. Once it was spoken, then it came out of him and began to live outside in his invisible world as he is spiritually. Because we talked about that already, right? That God is spirit, so everything has a spiritual origin because it was created by a spiritual being. So how he, how this spiritual being gets that what he wants in creation, what he wants manifested as his will outside of himself, is by the spoken word, by the word. He said, "Let there be, and light appears." So the spoken word causes what what is inside of God to come forth and perform. What is in him becomes activated by the word. It, 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 it literally causes it to take on life. He says, the words I speak to you are what? Spirit first and then life. So how I get them out of me and give them life is by speaking. It's an activation agent for things that are in God to appear outside of him and take on life and begin to exist and be sustained. How do we know this? Because the Bible tells us so. Yes? How does the Bible tell us so? Because Jesus, as God's only begotten son, came out of the bosom of the Father as what? The Word. He came out of God as the Word. So Jesus, as the only begotten son that was inside of God, how God got his Word to live outside of himself and take on life is by producing Jesus Christ as his Word. So Jesus is the performing God. How God gives and enacts, and I should say how God enacts and gives life to what is inside of himself. How God manifested and got himself to live and, op- and operate is he gave, he gave birth to his one and only seed, 
that is like him and from him, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is a performing God. He's the performance side of the Almighty and how God performs. Okay, because we know everything is in him. We know that the whole world, everything we see around us is in him. But how did he get it out of himself, and how is he getting it moving and acting and, and tangible and, and, and taking on those things is through the word. He is also the creative God. How God generates and sustains what he made is made is through Jesus Christ. So he is how God created. He pulled this spirit, this side of himself, out of himself and said, you there. Now, you're going to go and create. You're going to go and perform what I say. Sent himself out of himself in Jesus Christ. Now, that's already bad. All right? And then, of course, as Dr. Price has shown us, and we're going to talk about this in Before the Garden on the chapter, dealing with Jesus Christ in particular, the portability. He is how God moves around. He is a portable God. So how God appears and moves throughout his creation is through Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Some basic, some basic ways. Basic ways to know that Jesus Christ is the portability, he is the manifestation, and all of, those, all of those things, we're going to go through some scriptures that tell us so, okay, is that Jesus Christ out of his own mouth and admission said, but no man has seen God at any time. How is it possible for no man to see God at any time, and yet Moses saw the form of the Lord? Abraham sat down with somebody and ratified a covenant, Okay. So we had these moments where there were these appearances before even his incarnation. So then who did Moses see? He saw Jesus Christ, the performing, creative, and portable side or dispensation of God. They're one because he came out of them. And he literally, boom, moved himself. So how does Jesus do this? Let's look at his testimony. John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So the Word, Jesus was in God until God was ready to get busy, and when God was ready to get busy, he pulled Jesus out of himself and said, let's get busy. I pulled, the, I pulled this side of myself, the, uh, the side of myself that's going to operate. Let's get busy. Spirit, let's get busy. So you're going to be the moving side of my spirit. Now, He's in him. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made. Because everything starts with a word. The word, a word, which is why he's hard on prophets, because it was, it's an initiating, it's a generating instrument that he used to generate himself. Jesus was generated as the word, generated by, by God the Father speaking him and calling him out of himself, pulling him out of his own self, his own being. He was, without him, nothing was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Let's talk about it. Jesus is the word, which means the word is a person. As a prophet, you are not obligated just to a saying or a phrase or a hearing of something. You're obligated to a person because the word is a being and not an object. If the word is a person, then that means it has an existing personality. See? There's a personality that goes with the word, which is what we're using to measure and discern if we're hearing from that being. This being has a per- is a person with a personality, likes, dislikes, things that he enjoys, doesn't enjoy, ways that he talks and doesn't talk, okay, characteristics, attributes, et cetera, et cetera, because you're dealing with a person. And 
as long as the enemy can keep you depersonalizing your God, he can keep you open to error. And that's what he likes to do. He likes to make you feel like you're dealing with an object so you can trifle with things and try to manipulate. But when you're dealing with a person, a person is who they are. You can only manipulate people who allow you to. But other than that, you don't have that kind of control over a being. Now, we can rip a Bible up, but you can't rip up Jesus Christ. The word is God's creator and operator. Jesus is the active agent of God's will, thoughts, and desires. He is how God is able to operate or make his creation and will function. He's the functional part. Oh, you are how it functions. I'm how it gets done. Okay? Jesus is the light. Jesus' life and existence in the flesh, literally, he says, when you go back to the scripture, it says that he's, that, uh, I want to read it right, because, you know, I like to quote things the right way. It says that, the, that in him was life and that the life was the light of all men. How was Jesus' life the light of all men? Well, because his life in the flesh becomes the light of men or the means by which mankind can see God. It was through Jesus' life in the flesh that we were able to see God. And through seeing God, discovering immortality and eternal life and its option for us. See, we would, we would have never known that we were first called to be immortal beings if Jesus Christ's life hadn't shown up here. It was through his life that, that brought us immortality. As, as Paul said, it brought immortality to life. We now realize eternity. His, his rising from the dead, we now realize immortality and eternality exists and that this was our original call. This was our original existence. We would have not known that because of the curse, because of death, because of all of the things that, that happened that were triggered as consequences from the fall. But Jesus came to show us because he's ready for us to take back on who we are to become what he, what he and his father had planned from the beginning, which was a people after their own kind and after themselves. So he sends his life into the planet, and it becomes the light. It turns the light on and says, what? We can live forever? Are you kidding me? There's something beyond this world. So his life becomes a light. Jesus is how God takes action. He is the living word, right? We always say that the word of God is living. Now we know how it lives. It, it's living as Jesus Christ. And you see what he does? You see that thing is sharper than any two-edged sword? That brother can cut you. All right, we're back. Colossians 1, uh, 15 through 20, we know as Jesus being the, uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, because he is that portability of God. And he is the head of the church, which we know, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in all things he made, we may, that he made, he may have the preeminence reconciled in Christ. So that's why Christ is God's operational side. He is that word, which we know. And then, of course, it talks about uh, it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell that he would put everything that would live outside of himself, that would have a sustenance off of his life, that would be uh, uh, operational, functional, okay, and manifesting in Jesus Christ. 
because Jesus Christ is that manifestation, which we know. We know that he's the image and the portability, the creator, the progenitor, the lawgiver, the savior side of the spirit, redeemer, ruler, the mediator, the judge, the gatekeeper, the guardian. These are all the different manifestations that show up as the word being fulfilled, or I should say in action through Jesus Christ. So this is how God takes action. If there's anything that needs to be done in the planet, he does so through this portable and operational side called Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you all today? Why is this important? Because Jesus fills all in all. When we, and we say that and we understand it religiously, okay? We know that, you know, Jesus everything, okay? But this is why the scripture testifies about Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. Everything in the scriptures is about the word that was there in the beginning because Jesus Christ was that active side, an active agent of God. So anytime you see God showing up in scriptures, it's talking about Jesus Christ because he was the one that was there from the beginning. Everything, every God, the in the beginning God, the let there be God, the, the God that said get out the garden God, okay, the God that showed up to Abraham God, the God that, 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 that faced off with even Cain God, okay, the, every time you see that show up, we're dealing with that active, functional, operational side of God called Jesus Christ, because that's how he gets everything done and accomplished, and that's what those scriptures begin to show us. And so we've been taught, even as prophets, that Jesus' life didn't begin until Mary. No, no. Mary is when he was wanting to manifest himself in the flesh through the genetic gene, okay, of humanity. But Jesus Christ has been functioning and operating as that being that came from the bosom of the Father to see to it that the plan of action takes place. He's been that one from the beginning. And so when we talk about this, we see why now this, this is the record of Christianity. This is why, rather, the record of Christianity on earth starts with Judaism because, come on, God started there way back with Abraham. This is why it started with Judaism, not because Jesus was a Jew. Okay, our Christian record on earth doesn't start with Judaism because Jesus was a Jew. It starts that way because Jesus was the God of the Jews, and he was working on and finishing an eternal plan. Y'all with me? Because all the way through, that's why we have the Old and New Testament, okay, even though there's no such thing. That's why we have Jesus and the start of the plan, okay, and Jesus finishing the plan. It's because he was establishing himself as God. We needed to know his historical interactions with the earth. And that's what happens in those scriptures. We needed to know his historical encounters and interactions from Adam and Eve and Abel and Cain and Abraham and all the way, Noah, all the way down. Okay? We need to know all of those interactions. And that's what they get, that's what the scriptures and that's what we call the Old Testament gives us. And we think that the only connection we have to the Old Testament or homage we should pay to it is because Jesus was Jewish. No, Jesus was their father. And so he's letting you know how his history with encounters with humanity began. And then he lets you know through himself and through the apostles how they will end. Does that make sense? 
Why are we going this route? We'll talk about this when we get back together next time because we understand, and here's just some scripture reference I'm going to leave you with, but we understand as prophets that we are supposed to be a steward over the testimony of Jesus Christ. But if you don't understand that Jesus' testimony begins all the way back there and how it functions in each generation and with each encounter he had with humanity, then you don't know what you're safeguarding and stewarding, and you won't know what you're progressing forward. Does that make sense to you all tonight? I'll end with this scripture right here, John 5, 38 through 40, to kind of uh, wrap up what we just discussed. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So the scriptures testify of Jesus Christ, which is why if you're going to be a prophet and you're going to be an accurate representation of who God is, you have to know the entire scripture. And at that time, the scriptures that Jesus was talking about wasn't even the gospels. So they weren't written. He was writing them. Now, they were written prophetically because he said he came in the volume of the book that was written of him. And Peter talks about how the prophets were prophesying by the spirit of Jesus Christ as they were ushering him into the planet. So in that regard, yes, but the scriptures that he was referring to were the ones that we were taught, especially New Testament prophets, were irrelevant to our uh, need to be accurate in this era and in this age. And that's not true because they are the test, a part of the testimony. They are what testify and help us understand the character, the nature, and the, everything about Jesus Christ as God, not just as Savior and not just as Redeemer, but who he is as God. Does that make sense to you all tonight? I hope it does. When we get back together, we'll finish this. And we'll talk about the Bible equaling Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ equals the Bible. So everything in Scripture is about his testimony and about what was relevant to his interactions and engagement with his people, how he has been working out and what he used to work out his plan from before time began and how he's always used his prophets to do it. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about uh, the spirit behind prophecy. We quote that scripture all the time, but we don't actually break down what it means and make ourselves truly as prophets accountable to it. We have way, way, way too many prophets who, are, who don't know the word of God, who don't understand scripture, who've not uh, uh, really sat down and studied these things, okay, and making themselves accountable to it. In fact, we have more prophets who are accountable to the private dreams and visions and spiritual encounters and excursions they have than to the scriptures that value validate their position. You're validated by Jesus' testimony. How do we know this? Because what did Jesus spend most of his time doing when he was here in the flesh? Validating the Old Testament prophets. He validated Jeremiah's word, Isaiah's word. He validated. He said, this you've learned through the law and the prophets. Study it yourself. Look up law and the prophets. You can just do a search in Bible Gateway. So his testimony validates who you are as a prophet and your right to still exist today. 
and while you are a valid contribution, necessary, instrumental part of his ability to advance his end-time agenda. We want to be fans of Bible prophecy and not of the agents that are going to help us facilitate that. Isn't it true? Which is why we have to understand the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we'll talk about that and how it interrelates in the continuum so you as prophets know how to stay in that word. Understand the character and nature of that word so that you can rightly judge prophecy. You cannot rightly judge prophecy if you are uh, literally broken away from or operating independent of the spirit and the testimony that validates it. The reason why God needed prophets in the world was to manifest Jesus Christ and manifest what Jesus Christ was here to do. From the beginning until now, getting their world into this one, and he's using prophecy to do it. Amen? All right, I'm going to go ahead and call it right there. Thank you guys for tuning in tonight. We had a great, great show, uh, despite all of the other things that tried to stop the show from happening. We had a great, great show tonight. And so I'm very excited about where we're going. Share this with your prophets. Share this with people that you know who are trying to understand how to figure this thing out in God. Amen? And so, and then share it around. Okay, you can share it on Facebook because I know some of my Facebook Live people are probably, you know, freaking out a little bit, wondering where in the world. Okay, but we're going to share it. We're going to invite you to listen to it again and again and again because it is a great uh, class for you to understand how you as a prophet can stay in God's truth. God's truth is his testimony. Jesus' testimony is the truth. Our testimony is something else. It's a supplement. It helps. Like shake and bake, it can help. But it is not the foundation of the world. Jesus' uh, uh, testimony literally framed the world. It is the foundation of creation. And we as prophets have got to understand that and know that if we're going to keep, uh, keep ourselves on the right side of manifesting his will and not accidentally or incidentally frustrating it by prophesying and releasing things that are not his character or not in his testimony. All right, so I want to encourage you tonight, uh, of course, to stay connected with me all week long. Uh, if you have not, please join our Facebook group, Wednesday Warrior Study Group. would love to have you guys on there. We do challenges. I, I put other teachings up and other things to fortify you all week long in what you are becoming because we are becoming something. I never want you to forget that Christianity is living. It's like the Word of God. It's living, okay, alive sharper than any two-edged sword. This thing is alive. It's not something that, is, uh, that you go to like a statue, okay? You're not going to pay homage to something. Isn't it great? Jesus killed the idea of us having to go to Mecca. He said, mm-mm, there's going to come a day where you ain't going to have to worry about where to worship. You ain't going to have to go to this mountain or that because I'm going to be everywhere, and you're going to have that access to my spirit, and you can press in. So this is a living thing, and it's something to not only live by, but it's something to allow to live through you. And we're becoming something, a product of this man, a product and the essence of everything Jesus Christ was in the flesh, before the flesh, and everything he, he called us to be after we leave our own. Amen? So I want to encourage you to stay connected. Go ahead and join the Facebook um, uh, group if you haven't already. All right, Wednesday Warriors Book Club. Also, you can follow me on Twitter as well. I like to keep you empowered every day with tips on how to conquer as a warrior, amen, in this thing, being willing, able, and ready. That's what God needs you to be, willing, able, and ready, all right? And, of course, I want to encourage you to go ahead and give tonight. 
You can sow a seed. If this word is changing you, I always believe that you should sow into what's changing you, not just what's popular, not just what's trending, not just what's cool, but sow into what's changing your life. Amen? So I'm encouraging you today to go ahead and sow, www.tallerprice.com, encouraging you to sow. It's been an encouragement to me. It's been an encouragement to this ministry, to Before the Garden, Dr. Paula Price, everyone here. You guys are making the difference by literally becoming a living epistle. That's our goal is that you would become a living epistle. Dr. Price says that what we preach, we reach, and I'm reaching for beyond the stars. I'm not going back to Eden. I'm going to the eternal plan of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to go back to the, the original design, not the tested experiment. That was the test case. I don't want to be a test case. I want to be assured. I want to be confirmed. I want to be established. I want to be in there with him. Amen? So I want to encourage you to sow, okay, what the Lord lays on your heart, www, um, how many W's am I going to say today, right? www. TylerPrice.com. I'm sure some people have already posted that for me. I thank you for doing that, um, and I'm encouraging you to do it. We're on this journey together, and I know, I believe that the seeds that you're sowing into this ministry, okay, and all the ministries associated with it will bear fruit, and it's going to bear fruit in your courage and boldness in your faith in Christianity. I've watched your posts. I've watched some of the things that you all are writing. You're becoming stronger and stronger in who you are in Christ every day. Your, your hearing is increasing your faith, and your faith is producing a warrior. And I'm so proud of that and proud to be a part of it with you. So go ahead and sow that seed, and now we're going to pray out, amen, um, and just bless you for this week. This week, God says, be anxious for nothing, but take everything to prayer, okay, prayer and supplication. Before you go and jump into a hasty decision, the Lord says, seek the Lord. Slow yourself down. Slow your thoughts down, and don't be anxious over those things. God says come to him in prayer this week, and he, he wants to give you answers. He wants to give you solution, resolution, and resolution. There's some things that he wants you to be ready for so that you can, A, control your opposition and turn your opposition into an instrument and not a blockade or a barrier. God wants to show you how to outwit and outsmart and outmaneuver the enemy in a lot of areas of your life, but you have to draw near to hear. And God says draw near to hear with an ear of wisdom. And if you feel like you don't understand or can tap into God's wisdom, James says we have nothing but to ask. But this is that kind of week for you all to really go ahead and slow down. Slow down your activity for a moment. Don't just make some decisions off the seat of your pants or off the cuff but everything through prayer and supplication. And don't make a decision based on fear and anxiety. I'm just going to do something because I don't know what to do. Don't do that this week because God is fighting for you, and he's trying to preempt some things from coming down in your life, and he's trying to make some things that are already in motion not stick to your life. So don't be anxious. Don't make decisions out of that anxiety and, and that panic. All right? Father, I thank you today. I thank you for these warriors. And the growing warrior nation, you are growing the warrior nation. You are growing those that really do want to become the manifestation of Jesus Christ, that want to walk in the reality of their faith and not just in the doctrine of it. They're not looking, God, for just a word. They're looking, God, for the being, the person, and the personality of Jesus Christ to be an operation and at work in them. They want to become this thing. They want it, Yobokosa. They want to show up in this world the way you have called us to, the way that you 
have spoken before the foundation of the world. They want to be led, God, by your spirit and not by the culture and customs of this world. They want to eat, God, from your table and not from the ground. They don't want the Canaanite sermons anymore, the sermons from the ground, the sermons that are intermixed with so much pollutants and additives and craziness, God, that they're, they're downright killing our ability, Father, to believe in you. And we know that they're the wrong sermons because they're not igniting faith. They're igniting a fear and doubt and destruction and devastation of our hope. So we know, God, it's time for us to get back to the living water, the living word, the vine, the branches, the bread, and all of the things that you've given us, Father God, to survive in you. God, I thank you that you are literally upchucking these things out of your own body that we might be whole again. You want us to be made whole. You don't want us to be fractured and splintered and all over the place and broken and devastated. But, God, you want us to be made whole, and we can't be made whole outside of your wholeness and your holiness without being a part. God, of the entire thing. We can't just continue to do this thing in slivers and pieces, taking the peace we want to live by and think that that's going to make us complete. God, I thank you that that day is over and that we're wanting to integrate ourselves back into the whole, back into the whole, back into the whole. And so, God, I thank you today for lifting them up where they really should be, God, causing them to rise above the things of this world, recognizing, God, that they are simply too good for that. You are too good for that. You are too good for that. But you are too good for that. When people come against you, you let them know you're not doing it because you're legalistic and religious and all of those things. You're doing it because you were made to be better than that. And you want to live up to how you were made. You don't want to live down to people's criticism and their rejection of you and their condemnation of you. But you want to live up to how you were made and how you were born again from above. You no longer want to have a destiny that is tied to the ground. You want to give the ground back what it bears, the death that it deserves. But you are going forward towards life in Jesus Christ. So you want to live how you were made. You're not a religion. You are a product of a living God. And you want to live up to those standards. You want to live up to that condition. You want to live up to that product and those privileges and those rights that you were given. It's not about it, your vocosa. It's not about thinking that it's a, a something else. One man's law is another man's love. You love your God and you love how he's making you. And that's why you're doing these things. Stay in that vein and stay in the mind that is motivating your hope. And don't allow all of the other uh, naysayers in opposition against this thing, those that have already decided to, to resign themselves to condemnation and Adam's faith to take you down. You are going to live according to what you love to be, and you love to be like Jesus Christ. And that's what's motivating your behavior. It's coming out of a place of a living dynamic and not a dead work and not a dead activity and not a and not things that are fading away, but you're living up to your identity, who you are and how you were made. You are better. You were made to be better than that. And God, I thank you that this word will rest on Brian Howard, on Lady Andrea Hope, God, on Prophet Michael Adams. You needed to know that today. Some things are not about sitting up on a high horse and walking around like you're better than the world and that classic sense of self-righteousness, but your boast needs to be in what Christ made you to be. You're better because you were made to be better. Oh, come on. Firstborn of the dead. You can't be a descendant of Jesus Christ and be subpar and be substandard. Don't live down to the weakest thing. Live up to the quality of life that you were given in Christ Jesus. At uh, uh, Coedia, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but we pronounce it on you. Tara, stay strong. Stay strong. 
Let this mind be in you. Listen to this over and over and over again. Let this mind be in you and allow yourself to be conformed by that. For Rachel Purifor, God, for Tina Wu, let this uh, rest on Tevin D. Davis as he's growing in his prophetic self, God. I'm asking that you would continue to lead and guide him. He needs mentors right now and guidance, Father, so that he doesn't fall prey to a lot of nonsense and, and un- unnecessary warfare in his life because he doesn't have all the instruments around him. But, God, as you're developing him prophetically, I'm asking that you would set the right people in his life, God. For Mrs. Barrett, God, we rest, let this word rest on her. For un for un. I'm a man, okay, 58, amen. We, we, we want this word to rest on you as well. For at appreciative, we want this, and stay appreciative. Appreciate what God made you. Don't allow people's inferiority complexes and their issues with God to become your life standard. Don't live by that. You've been a rebel anyway. Now you can rebel against the culture and the system that's trying to take you out. So misappreciative, stay appreciative. God, for Deanna, we, we pray this over your life too. God, we pray over Deanna's life. We pray over her home. We pray over her job. She's just been inundated with a lot of things in 2017. It's not been kicking off the way that she expected and with the things that she feels like you promised her. So, God, I thank you right now for a turnaround. We can touch and agree as a warrior nation. Y'all can agree with me for Deanna's life. God, I thank you right now for a turning around. I thank you right now for moving in her situations and circumstances and causing all things to work together for the good. I thank you for aligning things, bringing things back into alignment, and her life is not going to be a runaway train. So we stand in the gap today and say, if you're both closer to the enemy, that this, this time of confusion and craziness is over, and we bring your life back on track, and we bring you in alignment with what God has said and spoken concerning you. And we agree as a warrior nation that mm, it's about conduct, that the counsel of the Lord and the will of God concerning you will stand. And we bring those problems under subjection. We bring them under, and we force them to conform to what God has spoken and what God wants to do in 2017 for you. It won't be crazy for the rest of the year in Jesus' name. All right. For G. Hill, we, we right now, Father God, cover him as well, and we pronounce this word upon him and his power and effectiveness in his life. Having done all to stand, God, help him to stand there for. For Pastor Peggy, I thank you, God, that you're doing it for her as well. God, I thank you that you are giving her encouragement in this season because she needs it. There's been some things that have come down the pike in her life, some sorrows and things, and I'm asking that, Lord, that you would be there as a comfort, that you would be there. And if it hasn't happened, we're praying it, we're resolving in the name of Jesus that she will be comforted and that your spirits of consolation will be with her in this season, in Jesus' name. For Dawes Ministries, for PDKE2, God, for uh, Terrace Martin, keep pressing, Terrace. We're so proud of you here. I'm proud of you for being a part of the Warrior Nation and literally knowing that you war every day for this thing. You are pursuing Jesus Christ at all costs. And trust me, he'll be a rewarder of you diligently seeking him. For Ron Bailey, we pray this over him. For Callaway, we pray this over her. For Dr. Francis, Dr. Francis, don't give up because your ground will sprout. Stay encouraged. And God, for Kara Bullock, who is just making list and bound. And Kara, you know what? Every time you make up your mind, things come into alignment. For you, it truly is mind over matter. I know it's so crazy to say, but every time you make up your mind, and so I just pray that the Lord keeps your mind in peace and that he will, God will continue to teach you how to really fight through psychological warfare because sometimes the enemy just trying to psych you out, girl, and you cannot allow him to psych you out. But when you make up your mind and, and say, no, this will be or this will not be, things tend to come together for you. 
So God says continue in that vein and continue to let his mind be at work in you and to give you that courage to go forth in the things that he's given you to do. Don't back down. It's not the 2017. It's not about backing down. It's about gearing up and preparing yourself, equipping yourself for the fight to forge ahead. Amen. And we pray this for at one P. Johnson as well. God, I thank you for what you're doing in P. Johnson's life. Uh, P. Johnson, I just see that God's going to do something in the financial realm for you. Um, I don't know if it's a provision for just your, your everyday life or things that you're going after in God, but provision is coming your way, and it's coming through the most unique of circumstances. So just be on the lookout and know that God is hearing your prayers for provision to come and be released in your life. We open up the unblocked stream. We, we, we really overturn the overdue harvest and things that need to be happening in your life. So just, yes, rest in that word, and know that we here at Warrior Nation are standing with you for God's stream of provision to be open for you in 2017. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you share, share, share this, and we'll see you next week for another edition of Wednesday Warriors. God bless you. Have a powerful week.